I'm joined today by Pauline Dressart, half of musical group Icona. Today, Pauline and I are continuing our four-part conversation about suicide prevention and awareness for this month. Uh, Pauline has a very intimate uh, relationship with this subject, um, having lost a few of her family members to suicide. Um, so we are going to be very vulnerable about this conversation and the directionality of it, continuing to create openness about these type of topics so that they don't become so taboo. And the more that we can openly talk about these things, uh, the more help we can find. So I really hope you enjoy the conversation. We'll see you on the other side. But first, a message from our sponsor. Our healing journey can be difficult and might feel lonely at times. That's why I love sound baths. When we can get together in a community, we intrinsically support and feel supported by others. And that combined energy can help us go deeper into our own healing journeys. And all you have to do is just lay there for one hour and listen to beautiful healing sounds. I'm a sound healing practitioner, and I hold sound baths on a regular basis in the greater Seattle area. You can find my next sound baths on my website at adamrealhealing.com. That's Adam, A-D-A-M, real, R-I-E-H-L, healing, H-E-A-L-I-N-G, dot com. AdamRealHealing.com. Your healing is worth your time. And now an uninterrupted podcast with Polly and Dressart. All right, welcome back to our show. Uh, today I'm joined by an amazing musician, Miss Pauline Dressart. Uh, Pauline is half of a, a musical group called Icona. Uh, Pauline has a deep, deep musical background. Uh, she's a Billboard-acclaimed artist, and uh, with her husband, who is a Grammy-nominated percussionist, Aka, uh, they have Icona. And I was just turned on to your music by Heather Henninger, who's a repeat guest on our show. And uh, once she turned me on to it, it was like, why don't I, why don't I know this, this music? It's so beautiful. It's so perfect for everything that I do from sound healing to uh, meditation to yoga. I mean, it just it fits so perfectly with all of the, uh, the backing that I would need for my, my work. And so I'm so excited to, one, be introduced to your music, but also, too, to be introduced to you personally and be able to chat with you. Um, so thank you so much, Pauline, for taking time out of your day to, to chat with us today. Thank you, Adam. Honored to be here. So we're uh, we're in our fourth part of our Suicide Prevention Month episodes, and uh, we're speaking pretty openly about um, what goes on in the mind, right? With suicide prevention, with our suicidal thoughts, with sometimes suicidal attempts. Um, and one of the goals for these four episodes is to kind of normalize the discussions around this so that we don't feel so lost and internalized with these struggles that you know, as I start to talk to more people about these things and, and express my vulnerability with it, I'm finding that more people are actually having these kind of ideations, romanticisms, if you will, about, you know, leaving this earth in some kind of way. And so, and a lot of people feel really guilty about that. Um, so I think it, the more that we can be honest and we can be vulnerable about these type of conversations, we can openly talk about them and disperse a lot of these um, preconceived notions about what these things mean and understand that maybe there's a deeper meaning than things that we can figure out as we start to open up about them. Um, so Pauline, yeah. um, you've had a, a experience with uh, this subject before, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you know, um, it's uh, it's very close in my field as I am dealing with a a whole lineage that has uh, chosen that route. Mm. Uh, so my grandmother, when I was six, my mother, when I was seven, and my brother just four years ago. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. So 
you know, it's something that I've 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 been in the field of, and I think that for many many years, uh, I well, my, the beginning of my life, um, sort of coming through that was I was finding solace in drugs and alcohol for a long time um, and partying and being kind of like, you know, feeling like a star in my own circle of people. You know, that was my way of dealing with it as a young, as a young person growing up in London and getting involved in the music business and all of that. And then as I got, as when I turned 33, I discovered I had a really hit a, a big rock bottom in an abusive relationship. And I found myself in 12 step recovery, which was such a blessing because I, by that time I was off class eight drugs and I was just still dealing with marijuana okay. addiction. I've been smoking for 20 years. And like the thought of like not smoking anymore, just wasn't as an artist, you know, as a, a singer songwriter and all of that just wasn't in my field of consciousness. And I ended up in program when I was 33 and simultaneously was introduced to Kundalini yoga. And so my recovery path began very quickly and very strong. Like it was like from one extreme, an addict and abusive relationship, like out of that, becoming a Kundalini yoga teacher, working the 12th step. I'd been, you know, in a, another, another um, teaching called the Landmark Forum and did a bunch of programs for four years within that. And I was working with my now husband who was then, you know, percussionist in my band and also very uh, steeped in, in herbalism and shamanism. And I had been on his own healing path for already 20 years. And so he kind of like scooped me up and, and I went down that path with him. So it's for me, it was very quick and extreme. It was like, okay, come out of that. And I really feel like that's the grace, mm. you know, that's the grace of my, my ancestors. And that's the grace of when you trust what's in front of you and you stay open and you say, yes, I feel like that's, that's a lot of what the magic and miracles that I've experienced in my life. Mm. That's uh you know, one of the things that, that really hit me with my my personal healing journey once I started on that was um, uh, I had a mentor tell me that I'm not only healing myself, but I'm healing seven generations behind me and I'm setting up center, seven generations ahead of me. And so like having that mentality and having that understanding now is very comforting, but um, not knowing anything about that prior you know, I, I also, you know, I felt so disjointed in my path and in, in my journey. Um, and, you know, I just, I, I wonder how for yourself losing, you know, close family members at the age of six and seven, um, you know, when our, when our, when we're still trying to identify ways to process emotions and understand the world, how did that, did you have support at that point in time from other family members or was that something that, you know, something you had to figure out on your own? Yeah, unfortunately, you know, and it's really the the the, the deep process uh, and and some grief that I'm working through right now in in my therapeutic container is that I really didn't. I didn't have support. I was I was sent to boarding school around seven, and I came out when I was eighteen. Wow. You know, so it was it was very it was just that abandonment programming of. You know, my father was a businessman and was super busy 
my stepmother was um was you know so young she was 25 she already had two kids of her own and here comes another two kids which are not her own and so you know it was like the only solution then was boarding school and there was you know from what i remember i mean how do you explain to a 7 year old something like that that happened well you know i haven't you know my daughter's 10 years old and she knows nothing about anything yet. Mm. And I just don't feel ready to share with her. She doesn't even know about my brother. She knows he died, but she doesn't know how she's never asked. And so, you know, it's, 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 I feel like I definitely did not have the right support or the right container coming out of that. Um, And yet I'm, I'm close with my family and I love them. And I, I, I've done enough work within myself, I think, not enough work. The work is never ending, but <laughs> right. You know, I've, I've processed enough and I have enough of a compassionate heart that I can see, you know, how much of a struggle it was for them. Right. And that's, I and think that's, that's, that's a beautiful position to be in too, because, you know, we're all doing just the best that we can with, with the information we have, you know, with the tools that we have in our, in our toolbox, um, you know, looking back at my life before, I mean, even now I, I can't say that I'm perfect, even though I'm doing work, you know, we're still messing up and still creating traumas we have to unpack later on. But when I was, uh, when my kids were very, very young, my dad passed away and I wasn't in a place to where I could deal with that in a healthy way. And so I just drank a lot and then became more separate from my kids and, you know, wasn't present for them. And, you know, I was doing the best that I could, just like I know that my parents were doing the best that they could with all the things that they've instilled in me that I have to work on. You know, so I, I love that the, to hear that you're, you have that empathy for your family because, you know, it, these, these moments we look to our elders for, for comfort, but who do they look for, for comfort? They need comfort too, you know, and if they're trying to comfort those that are, that they're supporting with no comfort on their own, then that's where a lot of this tumultuousness starts to come in. And these traumas start to get really deep in our bodies because we haven't had the opportunity to process them. Very true. You know, and, and I think, I think for those of us who, who are parents um, and, and walking a path of consciousness. And when I mean a path of consciousness, it's just your work in progress, but you have a daily practice. Uh, you hopefully you're sober because I believe from, you know, being sober for nearly 20 years now that sobriety is a big part of, of becoming conscious. Mm -hmm. I really do. Um, and I'm a stand for that. I'm a stand for women in sobriety and and all people in sobriety, <laughs> you know, but I, I, I believe that when you are walking in consciousness, that that you get to that place, you get to the place of 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 absolute radical compassion for your parents and 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 a reconnection of of love mm. with with everybody around you with your tribe because i mean when when you don't have that and you're and you're on the path of consciousness i think it's almost even more suffering can be present right than than not right most definitely you know i think it's the idea that we we can do something that we that we don't know is negative for our body for a long time and it doesn't really have that full negative effect because we're not conscious of it but once we're conscious of the negativity that we're performing on ourselves for ourselves and with ourselves that lands in a very stronger way because you know it's bad for you Right. It's like I could I I smoked for a long time, but once I found out and once I felt and and saw the physical effects of smoking, 
when I continued smoking, it got worse. So I had to quit smoking cigarettes or I was going to just continue on the path of my mom and dad, you know? And so, you know, that, yeah, once we're consciously aware of the negativity, it lands in a very stronger way, in my opinion. Yeah. Well said, Adam. Absolutely. It's, uh, and then especially when you're teaching, it's tough because you're constantly looking at yourself, processing your own life and your past, and you're choosing something that that's it's not an easy route. So don't get all starry-eyed by what you see on Instagram or, or out there in the world by what it is to be a yoga teacher or teaching about consciousness, because it is, it's it's you have to show up for yourself in a way that you wouldn't if you were, weren't teaching. Right. Right. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's missed on a lot of people on their, in their early part of their path is how exhausting the path yeah. is. You know, our, our brain loves patterns. It loves to, you know, look at patterns, understand patterns because it saves energy that way. So when we're conscious and we're constantly aware of every single thing around us, our brain is working overtime and it's expending so much more energy. So there's the mental exhaustion, there's the physical exhaustion, and then there's the emotional side of it because you're, you know, dredging up all these things that, you know, we push down for whatever reason. And now here comes that trauma and here comes the understanding of where that trauma came from. And you're having to face that again. And that's, that's not for the, the faint of heart. Like it's one of the most exhausting and treacherous things that I've ever done, but also the, the little bits of success and little bits of that, that chess piece moving forward is all worth it every single time. Just that millimeter yeah. forward is just, is all that I need, you know, and it makes me keep coming back and understanding that, yeah. you know, this, this work is important. You know, if I, if I can do this work for me, then maybe that sets up my kids to do the work that they need to do. And just that domino effect that we keep improving the world in, in that little bits of ways at a time. That's beautiful. Uh, you know, one, one thing, and this, this can also speak to suicide prevention. And I think in this world of new age and consciousness and yoga and heal this and heal that one thing that I've really been sitting with over these last couple of years and taken into meditation is how to live in the paradox of life. Mm. And, and how to hold both. Like I can hold the grief of my lineage and, and you know, the, the constant sort of uh, mental um, processing, not constant, but a lot of mental processing of asking myself, like, am I all right? What's going on? Am I okay? Am I going too far over here, too far over there? Because when you come from, you know, lineage, like a whole tribe like that, it's, you know, I question myself a lot. And so that's to be able to hold that and to be able to hold at the same time, how amazing my life is. Mm. I'm in the most, you know, incredible conscious relationship. My husband and I are deepening and really doing the work together. I've got a beautiful child. I've got an amazing life in Costa Rica. I've got an amazing community. I'm an artist. I get to express myself. I have courage to bring my gifts forward, like holding both, right? Mm -hmm. And like just being in that dance and being with the paradox of life and not trying to get too high over here with like, how amazing is my life, right? And my art <laughs> and not getting too low and dragged down by, oh my God, am I gonna, you know, am I, am I doing myself a number with this mental loop that I'm in or this grief, you know, just like being able to dance 
in between both and holding the paradox. And when you look at, you know, Carl Jung and the deep therapeutic models, and even the Tao I Ching, which I love, mm. it's all about being able to hold both. Yeah. It's all about being able to live in the paradox of life and sort of, and, and from the up above, seeing the, from the cosmos, right? The cosmic view of the soul, seeing the, the lila, seeing the play of life and how it's all like stupid on one level it is, and then very serious on another level, right? So that's been my work over this last couple of years. It's like, okay, I can hold both just because I'm feeling my body doesn't feel well or mentally I'm not feeling up to par today. I can still take some time out. I can get in the water. I can talk to myself and I can shift and I can show up for a class mm. and I can show up like a good enough mother for my daughter, you know, and I can show up like a good enough wife. And that's been really my thing with the paradox is there is two, and I think that us, those of us who deal with, you know, mental health issues or feeling like we're super high and then we're super low and like, do I even want to be on this planet? One thing that I've learned a tool is that when you're super high and you're like chasing this ideal, you are in the all powerful nature. You're like, you're like burning yourself out because you can, you want to do better. You want to be better. You want to be more advanced spiritually, right? That's the all powerful nature. And yet the paradox of life asks us to be in the, this is good enough, bit by bit. I don't need to be in this idealism, which is all illusion anyway. I can just do good enough. So my whole thing, good enough wife, I'm a good enough teacher, song, it's good enough. It doesn't need to be any better because that cuts me off from my creativity and it cuts me off from my joy of life. And it's actually a, a therapeutic I think a Jungian principle is the all-powerful nature and, and, and you really see it on social media and the way everybody's creating their own beautiful world, right? That the, that's a lot of the all-powerful nature. And yet like a stable life asks us to hold both, asks us to hold the paradox. And that's been helping me. I think it's the biggest thing over the last couple of years that that's really been carrying me. Yeah. And it, it is that balance that we need to find. It's the, the balance between the physical and the metaphysical world. You know, when I first uh, mm -hmm. got sober and, and quit drinking and quit hard drugs, you know, I dove headfirst into meditation and that saved my life in a very big way. But eventually meditation became my new addiction and I started just meditating all the time. And I, right. And, you know, and it's like, well, shit, now I can't. And then in the internal dialogue in my head is like, well, shit, I can't do anything right. Right. You know, like I used to spend all this time drinking and doing drugs. Now I'm spending time meditating and getting into my head, but now I'm doing that too much and I'm abandoning my children and my, my fiance and all these things. So it's like, you know, it's like, where do we, where do we draw the line? But I think that's part of that consciousness is like dealing with the, uh, you know, for me, it was dealing with the addictive behavior, right? And so mm -hmm. finding that, you know, if I'm spending all my time meditating, um, am I actually being present as a householder for my family and, and uh, honoring those, uh, those responsibilities that I have? And honestly, it wasn't until I took my, uh, went to my first Vipassana meditation that that really landed with me. 
And uh, when the the voice of Goenka came over and talked about how, um, you know, one of the purposes for Vipassana, that 10-day meditation, is to live a monastic life. Not everybody can be a monk or a nun. Not everybody can isolate themselves in caves and pray for the world. If you can, that's beautiful. Good on you. But a lot of us have to be householders in some kind of way to, to progress society in, in, you know, the economic way that we're moving. And so with that heart, with the, the, the mindfulness ahead of us. And so, you know, finding that time, that 10 days of silent meditation, living like a monk, meditating for 11 hours a day, and then coming back into the world, there was a whole new appreciation for not only the, the silence and the meditation that I find, but also for the interactiveness and the, the extrovertedness that I usually shy away from. You know, we need community. We need to be felt loved. We need to show love. We need to be part of something to fix something. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's one thing to, yeah, like to just isolate yourself, but we're triggered by humanity. And so it's like that whole body bodhisattva kind of idea. You know, we've understand that there's an enlightenment kind of aspect to life. There's a nirvana-esque type thing that we could reach, and we understand that. But we're choosing to come back and be a part of this world and the treacherousness and the trials and tribulations of this life because that's where we really do our work, and that's how we can really, really, truly show up with the work that we're doing and show others that the work can be done. But we got to be here. we got to be part of this world. Absolutely. So well said. Yeah, yeah. And everybody should do Vipassana if you have an opportunity to look into that. Oof. It's donation-based, right? And uh, it's an incredible experience. Yeah, and I mean, I think that, you know, just circling back to this suicide prevention and, and men mental health, you know, I think that COVID and the state of, of the world is really... Um, putting on a, a microscope on on people's uh, well-being and especially mental health. And like you said at the beginning, I love I loved what you said, normalizing these conversations. You know, and I and, and you know I I think a lot about my brother, and you know I got that intuition the night before to call him, and I didn't call. You know, not that you know I'm responsible at all. Not hold that, but you know just to be an ear just to be there for somebody and to be able to, to not try to coach them, to not try to do the yoga teacher thing on them, but simply just to receive them is enough. You know, just to receive somebody in the quiet and to let them just go and go and go and hold them in the physical if you're there or just receive them and, and yeah, I hear you, I'm here. Hmm. And and be able to really hear somebody and witness somebody, I think that there's a healing piece right there that we don't even have to. And I've really learned that with my 10-year-old. You know, she has big emotions. And when she throws huge tantrums, and I learned that very early on, was just to receive, I see that you're really angry, like mirroring her so she could understand what was happening and just holding her. And I still to this day do that. Mm. And she's able to process very quickly. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't linger. And I think if we can do more of that for each other and, and make time for each other for that, that, that in and of itself is very, very healing. Cause as soon as you're witnessed by another human, mm. no, there's a space that opens. There's, there's a, 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 a feeling seen, feeling accepted, and then the nervous system relaxes 
because it feels contained. Mm. It feels held, right? So, yeah, I think some of that. And then, you know, I just also wanted to speak about breath and importance of, of breathing consciously. You know, even if you spend five minutes in the morning learning how to meditate, I believe is essential to be a sound, healthy human in this day and age. Definitely. And I think you said it perfectly, five minutes. Like a lot of times when I talk to people about meditation and getting into it, they're like, well, I really want to, but I don't have an hour to set a time aside a day. Well, you don't need an hour. You take a minute, take 30 seconds, right? Just take some time to be peaceful with yourself and listen to your own body, listen to your breath, listen to what's going on with you. I think, you know, there's a, uh, I think what is in early 2000s, the mindfulness movement became very popularized, corporatized, if you will. And you started seeing all these corporate training programs moving into, you know, all these different types of businesses. And on the outside, it looked great. Like, great. Yes, we need more consciousness in our business place. Maybe that can help with the empathy and understanding better business. Uh, But what I saw was the actual opposite effect because a lot of people entered into meditation that didn't willingly want to do it, but they were kind of moved into that because of either it was a corporate training program or, you know, there was that, there's that underlying kind of like, uh, you know, idea that if you sit for, let's say five minutes a day, you're going to end up with some kind of a superpower, right? You'll, you'll quiet your mind enough that you can activate things. You can feel your energy. So like, why not? Yeah. Sit for five minutes a day. But what they don't tell you is that while you're sitting for that five minutes, there's this slowly this mirror that starts to form right in front of your eyes that shows you all the things that you need to work on with yourself. And a lot of people aren't ready to see that mirror. And I know a lot of people that got scared to death of that mirror ran away. And kind of like what we were talking about earlier, if we're unconsciously doing negative things to ourselves, it lands differently. But once we see how negative that consciousness is and we're still actively doing it, that threw a lot of people that I know into a big, big spin because they now understand that they're not living their life quote unquote right, but they don't know how to fix it because now they're afraid of what they see in the mirror. So they've just stepped away from meditation and are just in this kind of limbo kind of area. So, you know, in a way, in an, an opinion, I should say, you know, this mindfulness movement kind of did a little bit more damage in the beginning. Hopefully it put people on the right path, but I don't think people, I don't think the mass population was ready to step forth into their shadow yet. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. I hadn't ever thought of that. Yeah, it's really, it's a bit by bit path, right? It's really something that you grow into, mm-hmm. you know, and then there's different stages. And it's important once you get into yoga, that you start to understand the different stages and that you might get stuck at a stage for a long time. I know I was, uh-huh. you know, and then it, it usually takes a big dose of suffering to move you and propel you into the next stage, right? <laughs> right? I mean, it's just, that's human nature. And every great master that I've sat with, you know, talks about that. It's like, it's, it's, we're so human. Like suffering is going to move you forward. If that is your, your foundational intention is to evolve and be a heart-centered being, mm. you know, everything in your life will become a teacher. Everything. Every single thing. Our teachers manifest themselves in the strangest of ways. My biggest teacher right now is an 18-year-old child and a 13-year-old child. And wow. they are giving me a run for my money. I thought I knew some oh, shit, and man. here we go. <laughs> oh, man. I can't even imagine. I go, I won 10-year-old, and I'm just <laughs> Okay, uh, day by day. You know, she's already running my household. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, you mentioned something uh, in the in the last comment you mentioned about um, uh, about just being felt and heard and listened and witnessed, and I think that's that's one of the things that I think pushes people away from um, holding space for uh, talks like suicide, uh, suicide ideation, romanticisms about it. Is that a lot of times, like especially as a as a uh, so as a man raised in the West. Um, I, whether it was consciously taught to me or subconsciously taught to me, I have adapted the moniker of being a fixer. So if you bring me a problem, if you bring me an issue, I'm going to immediately try to find a solution for it. And that could just be my upbringing. That can be like the whole Western mentality for men, because that's kind of what we have adapted to. And I know that we're moving away from that, but that's still kind of where I'm at. And so, you know, with, when people brought me these situations in the past, I would try to fix them. Okay, well, what are you doing? Do you have somebody that can help? And, you know, all red flags go up and the the whistles get blown. And that can kind of scare the person that's wanting to be vulnerable to share their ideations with another human. And so, you know, I think the active listening part, which you're talking about, witnessing, being like just feeling their space, holding that space for them while they can talk and not try to give them solutions, not try to give them, uh, you know, any kind of unsolicited feedback, but just that active listening of just witnessing the person and letting them just get off their chest, get off their head, whatever they need. I think there's so much therapeutic benefit in that and not trying to be the person that says, okay, I'm going to fix you. How do we do this? Right. Let's be honest with each other so we can fix it. You know, just being that witness, just letting somebody speak. I think that's where a lot of this um, vulnerability can start and create comfort between the two parties or the multiple parties involved instead of, you know, the, the supposed pressure of being the fixer of the person that's quote unquote broken. Totally. And I, I think I really learned that through my brother, you know, the, the experience with my brother, because he was dealing with severe alcoholism, like blackout drinking and all sorts of things and 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 I just I was always in the fixing mode because I you know I became a teacher immediately at 33 when I took the training within three months I was already teaching kundalini yoga and I knew that that I knew then or I made up a story about like to in order to stay sober and to to, to, to feel like I have a grasp on my mental health, I have to teach. And so I became a full-time teacher. I mean, I worked into it over the, the, the next couple of years. I still had part-time jobs. But by 35, I was like, you know, running my yoga business and teaching retreats and doing that full-time. And, and I was always trying to fix my brother mm. with yoga, with coaching, with diet, and I could listen to him and what he was going on with, you know, and his sorrow and his grief. But I think I, and I know this about, not I think, I know that I used spirituality as a bypass for years and years and years because I had no way of dealing uh, with the terror that I experienced as a child, hmm. losing uh, my primary caretaker and and also the abuse that followed that um that there was so much terror for for me there that I think I know that Kundalini yoga meditation fasting sweat lodge everything I did was just like be able to survive yeah. but I also feel, it was a natural evolution into the next stage of, 
awareness and consciousness. Mm. So circling back around to what you were saying about the gift of being able to be a receptive listener for somebody and holding a space of shunya, mm. a zero-pointed space, that's a miracle because not a lot of people have are able to do that. And really, when I think about my own suffering and my grief, still to this day, I'm looking for that one person that can just hold me while I can explode. Mm. You know, yeah. still to this day, I'm looking about like, like, where can I go that somebody can just absolutely receive the enormity, the enormousness of all these feelings that I ca I've carried and still carry to this day, mm. you know? So it, it, it's really a skill to be developed um, over time and, and as we come into our wiser years, I believe. And, you know, so there's that piece. And then there's, I remember my teacher saying, like, never teach somebody who doesn't come to you and ask to be taught. Don't give advice to anybody unless they're asking for advice. So, I mean, can you imagine the magic of just being able to hold a loving, compassionate face for somebody who just needs to purge? Because I know once I purge, I'm, I feel so much better, you know, and I've, and I've worked into um, uh, holding myself. Like I know how to hold, I know how to take myself through a process where I've been studying this other modality called possibility management, which I've been really enjoying. And one of the things is like three minutes of anger, three times a week for three months. And so I set my timer and I go in a safe space and I just go and ex I just experience the maximum level of rage and anger that I can experience in three minutes. And I let myself have it. And I tell you, when I do that, those days, I'm so fucking alive. Like, I am just so, like, present and juicy and activated because I'm letting all of my emotions and feelings. And that's what I love about possibility management is that they really have such an amazing way of dealing with your feelings and learning how to be with them. And, and so it's really, and I'm just discovering this modality was introduced to me by a, a dear brother of mine. And I've just started digging in. They actually have a, a, a program coming up in Seattle, which I was looking at going to do because it's a three-day thing. Um, it's very interesting, yeah, how, you know, you just go down the rabbit hole with different things. And, and I've been really intrigued by that work and, and have taken little bits of it that my friend has introduced me to. Um, but it's it's it, the feeling and the emotion. Let's speak on that a little bit because it, it's so important that we understand that that we a feeling is a feeling, and that's all it is. It's not who we are in our essence. And when we can start to dive into it and not be afraid of it, learn how to ride it, and then let's see what comes where I'm at on the other side of it. I mean, that's some magic, right? It really is, you know, and that's the emotions uh, balance that you're talking about. You know, there's uh, one of my favorite quotes. I think it's from Bell Hooks is um, 
all emotions are okay, all behaviors are not. Mm-hmm. So when we take the moment to experience our full breadth of our emotions, the, the elation, the sadness, the anger, um, then we, we honor those emotions and they don't sneak in and become this negative, nasty behavior that pops up when we're angry and, you know, start stopping our feet like that little four-year-old that didn't get the toy that it wanted, you know? So when we can find that, uh, that, uh, that freedom to experience the full um, enormousness of our emotions, uh, without feeling negative or without feeling regret or, you know, this, uh, remorse about mm-hmm. it, uh, possibility management. That is, i this is the first time I've heard of that. And I can honestly say that anger is one of the hardest things for me to understand as a human. Um, and part of it, I think, is because uh, a lot of what I experienced as uh, as a male is toxic masculinity. And when toxic masculinity is out there, it's very aggressive. It's very, yeah. um, you know, just enormous. And I just, I, it's not something I resonate with. And so I end up reserving a lot of my anger and not finding healthy ways to exert it. Uh, well, in the past, I haven't. I've I've gotten a little bit better about it now with different practices like yoga, meditation. Um, but possibility management, just have giving your like carving out time to just feel my anger and let it get out and let it just be what it needs to be. Um, that that is very very intriguing to me. It is, yeah. It's it's it was equally intriguing to me. Uh, just this new relationship because I teach a lot about the the cyclical lunar nature of the emotions within a woman, you know, because a lot of women have this, I'm crazy, something's wrong with me. But no, actually what's happening is a woman shifts. She has 11 internal moon centers in her body based on when she was conceived. It it carries a certain grid and each moon center has a completely different emotional reality. So in a 28-day cycle, she is moving emotionally into a different reality every two and a half days. She's a different woman. Wow. And so when women understand, and this is one of the primary things that we teach at Shakti School, um, when a woman understands, you know, how she fluctuates emotionally every two and a half days, Life has life has a completely different meaning. I mean, that teaching alone was what saved me when I was 33. When I discovered that teaching, I was like, this is everything. Because I can tell exactly when my pinks of the cheek, which is the most chaotic, crazy two and a half days of the month, when a woman is unbalanced. And if she doesn't know it, somebody like me who comes from you know, let's say genetic mental health issues, which I'm not even putting that on myself, but there is a thread of that in me, a belief that I'm still working with. Um, When I discovered that, I was like, this is the biggest revelation. And now I have a map that I can work with. And I know how I travel every two and a half days. And I know where I am. And I can and I can do what I know I need to do to self-care. I know that when I am in the pinks of the cheek, it's not a good time to have deep conversations with my husband or my daughter. It's, it's a time to 
have girlfriends around and feel supported and have a good cry or have a good freak out, you know, like I know how to self-care because I understand my emotional reality. But I think that, that, that there's so much taboo, like you said in the beginning again, so well, there's so much taboo around suicide thoughts, romanticization or mental health issue. There's so much taboo because we're all just, trying to keep this front, this mask, hmm. this patriarchal, you know, square that we're supposed to live in, which is just not relevant anymore. It's just not relevant anymore. We are, this is the Aquarian age. This is the, 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 the time of consciousness and love and healing where all things will be revealed in the truth, in the light of truth. And that's why all the structures are falling apart because the age of truth is here and we're at the very beginning of it. And that's why it feels like, you know, excruciatingly painful, no matter who you are, because we are having to dismantle everything that we've known and step into a brand new paradigm. Mm. And everybody, you know, as much as we desire change, we all know that change is one of the hardest things we can ever do. It's uncomfortable. It's it's aggravating because we're not in our, our social norms anymore. We're not in our pattern making. And so change is, is treacherous for a lot of us, but it's necessary. It's needed. We need to change to move forward. Uh, I love what you just said about just finding balance right now. There's an indigenous prophecy that was shared with me by, uh, I was listening to uh, Dr. Zach Bush. Uh, he's a fantastic, amazing human being. And he was talking about this indigenous prophecy that um, I think it was in 2020. Um, it's the first year. So for the past, for however long, since the dawn of time, there's been a bird flying around with just its masculine wing unfurled and no feminine wing. So it's you can only imagine how well a one-winged bird can fly. It's spiraling down. It's going crazy. There's no directionality to it. It's, it's chaotic. 2020 is the first year that that, fe that feminine wing unfurled. And it's the first year that this bird can fly with both of its wings completely open and the balance of that. And we're embracing in this moment right now of being in that time to where we can have a balanced masculine, a balanced feminine, and not have to compete with this patriarchy that's, that's been put in front of us. We're now aware that, that it's how toxic it is and how, how unbalanced it is. And, you know, we're, you know, we, however many we that is, are collectively working towards this understanding and, and sharing this information. And, you know, along with that too, I, one of my biggest, um, kind of advocacies right now is sharing information with our younger yes. generation. Uh, the stuff that we have to like, we have to find, we have to like, you know, look at ancient texts to figure out how to breathe, right? We have to look at all these things to figure out how to meditate. Why can't we just be taught this when we're young? Why are we being taught who signed the Declaration of Independence when we don't, we can't even control our own breath and get ourselves sure. out of a panic attack? Like we know these things now. We have these somatic responses to trigger our parasympathetic nervous system. The two and a half day cycle you just talked about, that's the first time I've heard of that. That should be common knowledge to every single yeah. woman that is out there because when we have an understanding about the way that we're just built and that's just the way it is, then we can take a lot of the stories that we create about ourselves, about how crazy we are, or how unbalanced we are, all these things, and we can just enjoy the personal constitution of the human existence and experience that we're in. You know, one of the things that really helped me out is understanding that, um, that I, uh, 
that I am naturally occurring to depressive kind of cycles, right? And that was that was uh, uh, put to me in my human design chart when I finally got my human design chart read, you know, and it's and it just it kind of gave me a. a uh, you know, just like a breath of fresh air of like, okay, so this is just my natural cycle of my my existence. I'm going to have really high highs when I'm very productive, but I'm going to have kind of some low lows. And when I feel those lows coming in, because it's very cyclical, now I can prepare my body for it. I can prepare my mentality. I can take days off. I can just cocoon myself into wherever I need to listen to some podcasts, watch a movie, make some bracelets, you know, do things that are experiencing that creative side that takes me out of my anxiety and lets me be a human being that just has ups and downs. Beautiful. You know? Beautiful. Yeah. I just, I really hope that this information that, that what you just shared is like, I'm actually excited to tell my, my fiance that, you know, and just share that information with her because, you know, we're very open about, you know, our experiences yeah. in life. And that for me is like, that should be like page one, of the the how to be a, a an adult manual. Okay, we're going to go through totally, and and I, I that's why I so dig this woman's work, and I, I I love working with men and women, but I feel a very very strong call, and then have done for the last decade to work with women, and I actually we have at Shakti School we have a a very affordable simple like fifteen video course coming out on the Moon Centers to really educate women. And I just told the moon centers to about 30 teenage girls here in Costa Rica. Um, that was like my first, um, through Ohana girls, which is a teenage girl program, uh, online, which is fantastic. And I, but I did it in person cause it's filmed here and, you know, there's just so much, there's so much amazing information, but what you said, Adam is, is right on point. These are the new manuals that we should be educating the coming generations with. I, I really dig that. I really dig that. And, and one of the commitments of Shakti School, and we've already started that, but you know, it's a small, a, a slow unfolding is to educate young girls. Yeah. And my daughter and, and her friends, and I bring them here and we do little dance camps because they love to dance and they love to, to sing. And I do, and then I drop in all the knowledge. Okay. Today we're going to you know, we're going to study classical Indian dance and what it is to give gratitude to the earth and gratitude to the heavens. We're going to, you know, and I just teach them like five moves, you know, and then they've got this like little move down they love to do, you know, and then I just drop little things here and there. And we do like opening circles, like, okay, so how, how are you feeling today? What's going on? Like, what's been the highlights of this week or what's been the worst moments this week? That's usually my question with my daughter every day. What was the highlight today? What was the low light? You know, what was like the hard moment? You know, and we talk about it. I think that communication with our young ones and like making sure that they feel secure and heard and safe and not judged, you know, yes. is is really is is some of the key um feedback that we can provide for them, right? To step into. But yeah, creating those safe containers, you know, um, w w one of the things that my daughter and I experienced recently um, was uh, she she had a, an encounter with a snake. And up in Washington, we don't have poisonous snakes. It's just a little garter snake. And, uh, and this little snake, you know, crawled across her foot when we were hiking one day and she freaked out. She went into panic mode. And, um, and so I'm like, okay, so explain to me what happened. She did. Okay. Okay. So now we're safe. We're away from the snake. We're in a safe place. Okay. So now what I would like you to do is shake your body. 
right? Just shake it out, right? We have nervous energy inside of us. We have this anxious energy, shake it out. And she looked at me and I'm like, okay, you've seen nature videos, right? So you've seen a zebra getting chased by a lion and that zebra finally gets away and the lion trots back off to its pack. And that zebra, when it feels safe, it'll do this little like five minute or five second little shake, right? And it'll just like shake, 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 shake. And then it trots right back off and it's a zebra again. But it, so that shaking is that anxious energy. It's got to get out. It's, it's built up all this testosterone, this energy, this like fight or flight of like, holy shit, I'm about to die. I got to get out of here. And so when we have that moment of safety again and we feel safe, we shake that energy out. And she looked at me like I was an idiot. And I'm like, well, I kind of am an idiot. I'm your father. That's what I'm supposed to be. But <laughs> I promise you this works. And, <laughs> but you know, it's almost like we have to lay that groundwork for, uh, because some of the spiritual work that we do can seem what we would consider silly, you know, closing your eyes, talking to the ethos, um, you know, sitting and singing your mantras of I am light, I am, I am a, a pure human being, you know, talking very positively about ourselves. Mm -hmm. Like I grew up in the 90s when a lot of that stuff was mocked. Right? Yeah, we didn't understand cool. that, you know, cool. talking positively of yourself was yeah. like, that's actually really cool. You're the only person that's going to really do that on a regular basis. So do it yeah. up. And so, you know, creating that container with her and laying that groundwork, even though it didn't land, uh, you know, I guess the proper way in the beginning, that was a couple of years ago. And now a couple of years past, now we have these practices and we have these understandings to where she feels a little more comfortable to do these things that might seem silly, but are very, very therapeutic to our human existence if we just lean into them. Totally. I mean, my daughter's still like, mom, can you stop your inspirational stuff, please? Like anywhere we go that please don't bring anything inspirational, no inspirational talk. Like, just let me be a kid. I'm like, yeah, I got you, but I still <laughs> find ways, you know, it gets in there. It gets in there. You don't even really have to speak much. You know, like she knows at 10 years old, she knows how to cook herself three meals a day. She knows what food is good for her. What food, forget the good and the bad. What food is nutrient dense and what food is less nutrient dense and what food is comfort food. And she knows how to, you know, she's learning how to regulate herself, you know, and, and she's, you know, she, she really can like take care of herself. It's crazy. Like to watch that emotionally as well. Like she knows when she's had enough of being around people, I want to go home now I'm done. Like I need quiet, oh, wow. you know? And then when she feels a little anxious, she's like, can you put that mantra on, you know? And she knows. So, so it's in the field. So you don't, Somebody like you and parents out there that are on the path, that are in a practice, like they're getting it through our being. We don't even have to say much. Actually, the less we say, I believe, you know, even with her father, like her father is a whole other level of, you know, I think evolution and he's 10 years older than me. And he's been, you know, he's been in a practice for 40 years. Like he doesn't he doesn't even need to say anything. And then when she gets around him, cause he's been, he's been taking care of his mom in the States. And so we've been a little bit apart this year, but she, her nervous system, like is just so grounded. Like she's so, you know, because she's in that energy field. And so we really don't have to make a whole big deal of it, you know, and I make too much of a deal of it. And I know I do. And that's my growing edge. You know, I'm like, oh, you got to do this and you got to do this. Let's meditate. And, you know, and I can get a little frantic with it. I know I can. 
But at the end of the day, like she is, they are not us. And they are wired, you know, through their pituitary and pineal gland. I read this whole thing that the children that are coming in from like, you know, 2000 onwards are wired intuitively in a completely different way. Like their capacity to live a life of intuition is, you know, a hundred times what we have access to. I agree a hundred percent. They're the... I've gotten so much hope and joy and just elation from talking to, to kids. And I don't mean kids like, well, even small kids, but like you said, 2004, you know, these 20 year olds and and younger, there's so much beautiful intuitive Mm -hmm. nature that they're, they're, they're gifted with. And, and, you know, for a lot of the people that I talk to, they don't even realize they have that kind of a gift or that kind of an empathy or that kind of openness. Um, But I think Mm -hmm. it's, 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 these different parenting styles that we're embracing now that embraces intuition instead of shuts it down, you know, growing up in the eighties and nineties, you know, it was very still religious based and religion. It was at that time still fire and brimstone if you did something wrong. Right. So if you did something wrong, you touch yourself, you do something illegal, all this shit, you're going to go to hell and you're going to burn for the rest of your life. So there was still that very intense fear factor that was put into us as children. Whereas now, uh, you know, so many parents that I know and so many moms and dads that have these beautiful children are embracing the, the, the imaginary friend. They're embracing the stories of all these eccentricnesses that, you know, back in the day we were taught to like, stop, stop with the stories, go play with your toys. Like, no, there's no imaginary friends. But the more we embrace that stuff, the more the magic stays alive with us. And I think that aliveness and that magicalness leads to the intuitiveness that we all are born and bred with. And we have this beautiful gift of our intuition. But over time, it gets dampened by that that constant negativity of like, no, that's not real. No, that's not real. No, go do something tangible. No, go to, go to school. Go learn something. Well, now we have this this you know, wave of parents and wave of adults that are embracing these new different types of mentalities and encouraging mm-hmm. kids to sit with their, mo- with their mentality, with their thoughts, with their emotions, and not just be the good kid. We don't want that outburst. You know, listen to your mom, listen to your dad. No, you know what? If you got to scream and yell, we're not going to do it in Red Robin. Let's go out into the parking lot. We can do it there. But if you got shit to get out of your system, let's get that shit out of your system because I don't want to see it come out later. So um, so I'd love to talk about the music that you and your husband create. And uh, so you have this beautiful group that you and your husband have that has this beautiful spiritual music that's, uh, and I mean, just like I said earlier, fits perfectly with everything that I do in my personal life. Um, but you also have a, a beautiful background as a solo artist in your earlier career, um, spanning from hip hop, R&B, you're big in the British scene. Um, and, you know, so how, uh, how was the transition from, uh, from your earlier music to what you're making with your husband and how that's impacted your journey? It's just a natural evolution. You know, it's, it's, I never tried to be a specific kind of artist or fit in a specific kind of genre. I really just followed my, my artist. um, inspiration you know I mean back in the day when I was 13 I was I moved to London from Brussels when I was 11 and I got introduced I spent a lot of time kind of out with my friends because my parents weren't around when I wasn't before I went to boarding school and I got introduced to breakdance and freestyle circles and and that's what I got into and so that was like my natural expression at that time and I was also a dancer Um, so that was really like what resonated for me, my bones, like dance and hip hop. 
conscious hip hop and freestyling and breaking. I mean, that that's, that's what I loved. And so then the natural evolution was, you know, signing a record deal when I was 18 and I had this unique kind of French English hip hop style that I did, which is kind of a, a poetic kind of flow. When you think of, of hip hop, it's, a, you know, it's hard to, in the, in this modern world, we're talking about the nineties now, you know, I'm a little bit older. So, and then it just naturally progressed into mantra when I discovered Kundalini yoga when I was 33. And then, you know, I got, I was on the red, not on the red road, but my husband has been a long time, um, you know, follower of the Red Road and Sweat Lodge and working with this one tribe out of uh, California and learned so many native songs and, and did all that. I've, I've learned, you know, spiritual songs from around the world that, that I love and we love. And so we just do whatever feels good to us and whatever we're inspired to do. We're not really trying to fit into any specific genres. We've made, yes, about eight mantra albums and now we're releasing just an album of conscious music. And the first single is Tam Me Up, which was, uh, it was, it came to me as, as one swoosh, you know, sitting at the piano. And it was my brother's last conversation with God. Oh, yeah. wow. Which says, you know, tear me up, break me down. I want to know how beautiful I am. Like tear away my masks tear away my egos let me feel my essence right tear me up break me down i want to feel your power in my hands wow you know and it just came so strong like that the whole verse everything and the lyrics are really important to the song and um so yeah i'm i'm very moved and inspired and the song Previous to that, on the Walking Sky, Dreaming Earth, that he gifted me, he was so present with me. That whole album mm. was Ancestors. Oh, that's um, a beautiful song. Yeah, I love that song so much. And we made a beautiful video to it with some friends. And it's just, you know, these songs for me are they're nothing that I craft and I think about, well, is this going to be a hit? Is this going to be good? It's really just what, what, it's the cosmos downloading to me. And I've, I've always been a downloader when it comes to music. And so I'm, I'm grateful for the tenacity to be 30 years in and going strong. And even though, you know, it's not been like a huge success, we're visualizing it being, you know, really spreading to people and conscious music, you know, taking, taking a lead, more of a lead because music is such a huge influence on the younger generations and it has such a loud voice. And then you're seeing at the Grammys, like these satanic rituals that they're doing at the Grammys, seriously. And you're just like, wow, seriously? Okay, it's like that, you know? And then us that are rooting for conscious music, you know, we're kind of in the background, but I think we're gonna get louder and louder as the years progress. And that's really our commitment is to educate through frequency because frequency is so much more powerful than words. It really is, you know, and music spans, uh, spans languages. It spans cultures. Uh, music is one of the bridges. It's the chakras, you know, of the things that, that everybody can relate back to, you know, we, mm -hmm. we've been using music as a healing modality since, you know, when we were cave people, right. You know, we've that's been right. like hitting on rocks and, and drums and using our voices to tell stories for, for, 
you know, eons and eons and eons. So we all have something that's really tied up into music with us. And one of the things I love the most about your music is that you're making, in my opinion, you're making modern day mantras. And I think that is like one of the most beautiful gifts that humanity has been gifted is the gift of a mantra and the understanding of like how these mantras can really speak to our souls. And so to continue that lineage and moving forward into the modern day times, I mean, I mentioned earlier, but you know, one of the, one of my favorite songs off your Walking Sky Dreaming Earth album is Wahe Guru. Uh, devotion. And it's because you've, you've melded this beautiful Wahe Guru mantra with blues. And like, those are two things. Like I grew up on the blues. I grew up on rock music, you know, so that's like a big special place in my heart to play guitar, you know, play the blues. And then, and now my new passion is mantras. And so you've just like, you know, unknowingly pushed these two amazing genres of music together. That is perfect for me. And, uh, and that's that modern day mantra for me. You know, you're creating that you're modernizing something that's been with us for centuries and centuries and centuries and and continuing that moving forward so that more people can be inspired by mantras they can learn about them understand what wahe guru means and understand what devotion is and then let that inspire them to continue that lineage to push forward like that's just it's so beautiful to 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 kind of be witness to the evolution of something so ancient Hmm. thank you for that that really touches my heart you know just letting spirit move is, is just the only way, especially when you're working with mantra, because, you know, these mantras have been in our lives with Akar and I for 20 years. We've been chanting these mantras. We birth to these mantras. We heal through these mantras. They've been like the tapestry, the soundtrack of our lives since we've been in this lineage together. And so for us to be able to feel the freedom um, to, 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 to express them in our very unique way, you know, is cool. And thank you for, for, for seeing and feeling that that's really nice to receive. Oh man. It's beautiful. Um, there's uh there's one more question I wanted to kind of tackle, um, if you feel up to it and uh, and I, you know, out of all the people I've spoken to so far, I feel that this conversation allows me to ask you this question. And again, if you don't feel comfortable answering it, you're up, it's up to you. Um, but there's, um, uh, so with suicide, there's uh, a, a level of understanding in spiritual community about suicide, and um, the what I've what I've heard, and I just want to understand if if this is something that resonates with you, is that you know in the in the the dramatic chances that you know somebody does commit suicide for whatever reason in this earth plane in this human existence. Uh, I do believe in reincarnation, you know, and it's, it's an idea it's, you know, uh, but when we reincarnate, um, we're faced again with those same issues that we left this world in. Right. So if we, let's say I, I, um, I committed suicide because of, of depression, some mass depression that I've had when I'm birthed back into this world, depression is still going to be something that I have to work with and I have to conquer because I didn't do it in the first, my first existence or that, that previous existence. Um, is that, does that something that, that, that you've heard or is something that resonates with you as far as you know those uh, coming back with that karma in a way well you know there's there's so many different ways to look at it and um i do feel i i do believe in you know i think the buddhists talk very clearly about the wheel of life Hmm. and how you cycle through all of these different roles and these different realms within your life and then the you know the yogis talk about karma and the karmic cycle and 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 the karmic wheel 
And there's a, there's actually an amazing book that Sadhguru just wrote called Karma, and it's really, really fantastic. Highly recommend that because it, there's so much talk about what karma is, what is, what, oh, it's my karma, it's this, it's that. Who really knows? But I think that, you know, I don't really know to tell you the truth. I do, I do believe in reincarnation. And I do believe that whatever you haven't resolved in this life, you will, you will need to resolve in the next life. But you may have a few lives up there where you're resolving things and then choosing to come back in. Right. I mean, I had a very, you know, and I'll just, I'll just share it because I'm an open book. But when my mother, when, when I was pregnant, the moment that I found out I was pregnant, which was on October 9th in 2011, which was Guru Ramdas's birthday and Guru Ramdas in our lineage is like the healer of the heart, mm. you know, and I found out like I'd literally taken probably 15 tests that year, you know, like so desperado to yeah. be pregnant, you know, I was, I was 39. I was just like, I just need to get pregnant, you know? And finally that morning in the kitchen in Topanga Canyon with my husband and I went to get a test and it's his birthday. And we're supposed to be chanting at 4am for two and a half hours, you know, at yoga West. And I can't go. Cause I'm like in pieces. Cause I, I'm not feeling well, take a test. I'm down on my knees, like with this test in my hand, just screaming, like, you know, like so happy. And in that moment, like this inexplainable knowing of this is your mother coming back in to complete her cycle. Like it was, it's a girl and it's your mother. And I mean, if I could tell you all the synchronicities of who Sahaj is, and not only that, so not I had that download, and then I go to see my midwife, and my midwife is, your due date is June 8th, which is my grandfather's birthday, which is my mother's father's birthday. Okay. And I'm said to, but she's like, but don't worry, they never come on the due date. I said, no, no, she will come on the due date. I mean, and she came in right naturally, right? Home birth, like four minutes into the portal of June 8th, right? Wow. And then when I look at my mother was an incredible pianist and an incredible musician, and she wanted to be a musician. She was such a lover of horses, had horses her whole life, rode horses, loved horses, those are the exact things that my daughter's doing. My daughter is lives for her. She's on a team. She lives for her horse riding and she loves her piano. She loves dancing. She loves singing. Sure. She gets some of that from me, but for me, that to me is an expression of the mystery. Hmm. And I still feel to this day, and I have no emotional attachment like, oh, this is my mother and my daughter's body. Like, no, but it's, it could very be likely. But I also feel that Sahaj, and when I look at her chart, she has a life full of ease. She has come for a life of creative expression and ease. 
That's who she is. And her, her name was given to us three weeks after she was born. We just waited and waited and waited and it came. And Sahaj is the, it's Sahaj pod. It's the oneness with creation. You know, I am in the oneness with creation. So if what you're saying is right, it could be, and she has her challenges and she will have her challenges. But I just wanted to share that story, which is very dear to my heart. And I don't think that I've ever shared it publicly, but that's something that is a mystical experience that you can't even really explain. People will think you're half back crazy, you know? <laughs> Right. If you yeah. talk to a regular person about that, but in these kind of circles, we can talk about that because we know this to be true. Right. right? Exactly. So I, I, I'm more of this. I am more leaning away from the stigma of if you choose to end this movie, <laughs> Because we've created such a tragedy out of suicide. But you know, when Abraham Hicks, who I love and has been my teacher for 20 years as well, the vibrational teachers, when they talk about suicide, they're like, it's just a person ending the movie. They're just done. They need to like recalibrate and come back in with another set of frequency. Okay. That's one way of looking at it. You know, when I... And I go, again, it's the paradox. Like I can hold that in one moment and then the next moment I can be in the most intense grief about my image, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just being able to hold both. And and that's another way of looking at it. You know, when you, if you Google or YouTube Abraham Hicks on suicide, it's really interesting what they have to say about that, the vibrational, on the frequency vibrational level. So, yeah. Yeah, I really appreciate that, you know, because, uh, you know, a lot of times maybe we're we're stuck in that story of the dramatics of somebody losing their life, somebody taking their own life because of the emotion that the people sticking around have attached to that person. Um, You know, I love, I I will definitely look into Abraham Hicks because I, I, I appreciate the dichotomies of things because, you know, like the... The amount of sorrow and loss and, you know, all those emotions that come with somebody taking their own lives, um, you know, that can be viewed as very selfish because it's the, the emotions that I'm feeling about your loss, right? Mm-hmm. I'm feeling this because you're not here. I'm upset with you because, you know, you've chosen to take in your life. Uh, you know, maybe that person, that, like you were saying, maybe that person just needed that reset. You know, they, they, this life was what it needed to be for them and they're going to take it and they're going to go and reset and come back in a different way. And for the people that are still around, it's that's our work to understand and accept that. You know, death is one of the most natural things that's going to happen to every single one of us. You know, we haven't found a way around it yet. Yeah. So whether you die, you know, quote unquote naturally or you've chosen to take your own life in some kind of way, we're not, we're not going to be here, right? We're all, everybody's going to pass sooner or later. So maybe in a way it's giving us the like real time ability to process very, um, very strong emotions, um, around something like this so that we can become better balanced in some kind of way, you know? So understanding that, you know, the, the fleetingness of how, how beautiful life is and how, how much we need to just appreciate what's in front of us, not expect there's going to be a tomorrow, but just like love the human being that's in front of you today, whether you know them or you don't. That's right. Well said. 
you know, and the, the time and space is the only, on earth is the only place where it exists. Past, present, future doesn't exist in the upper realms. It's only ever now, now, now. Everything is living simultaneously. Right. Everything is happening simultaneously. So, you know, yeah, it's, 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 it's tough to really know <laughs> the absolute answer. There isn't one. Mm. But I think that the answer that empowers you is the best. Like that story about my daughter may be completely in my own imagination. And I organized everything and orchestrated everything to be exactly like that so that I could have this sense of massive healing with my mother through my daughter. And I mean, it's in my chart. Mm. This whole, my my whole chart is about healing the mother and it's about being a representation of mother, a spiritual mother for other, other women, you know? So it's so interesting how our life purpose is actually etched in our, in our destiny. Our life purpose is etched in our chart, in our astrology. And we, that's what I feel for me. It's like, I, of course I chose this lineage. Of course I had to go through all that suffering in order to bring this to life. One doesn't exist without the other. And the level at which I believe in the healing of the feminine, I mean, it's like you. nobody can shake me from that. Nobody. No matter what I go through mentally and emotionally or what I've seen with my lineage, nobody can shake that. I believe in peace. I do believe in love. I believe in healing. And it's what gets me up every single day, you know? Mm -hmm. I, you know, it's, it's, uh, conversations like this and, uh, and, uh, the ideas like we're just sharing right now that lead me back to a Ram Dass talk I, I heard a long time ago. And he's talking about Emmanuel, his, uh, what he called his spook friend, you know, the, the entity that kind of follows him around. And, uh, and he said he was having a conversation with Emmanuel one day about just the trials and tribulations of humanity. He's like, I'm, I, you know, Ram Dass is like, I'm done. This is, this is stupid. And Emmanuel said, uh, well, you're, you're on this human plane, right? And this earth plane and this human existence. And Ram Dass is like, yeah. He's like, well, why don't you learn the curriculum? Right. You're a human. You're in this human existence. Learn how to be a freaking human, right? Yes, yeah. there is divinity to it as well. But if you're only focused on the divinity and not the humanistic side of it, then you're abandoning part of your journey here. Ooh, and the humanistic yeah. side is the volatility of the emotional spectrum that we have. Like we could be so elated one day and so down another, even moment to moment, you know. But taking the ability to feel those emotions and experience those emotions and be one with them, like yeah. we said earlier, emotions are okay, behaviors are not. When we can experience our emotions and understand that sometimes we're going to be pissed off. Sometimes they're going to be happy as hell and just embracing those, the, the dichotomy between the two, then we're, we're not uh, bastardizing any of them. And so yeah. then that, that, you know, what we would consider toxic uh, emotions don't just pop up in these random places. We're able to process our annoyances right when they happen. Right. That's so just right. like be here, be open, be like, have my emotions right here, ready to be heard, ready to be seen. That's right. I think one of the one of the best uh, quotes I heard. Uh, I think it was Nicole Lapera. She uh, she's a psychologist. Wrote a book called uh, "How to Do the Work," and uh, I believe it was her. But she was saying that uh, the the most emotionally balanced human beings are toddlers because you know exactly how they feel every time they feel it. If they're happy, <laughs> you know it. If they're pissed, you're gonna know it. it. If they're tired, 
you know, they need a nap. I just appreciate that, you know, because like, one, I love kids, kids are great and they make me happy. But, you know, just seeing that, that emotional sway between toddlers, like I'm so happy I have my toy. Now I don't have my toy and now I'm pissed. Like, cool. How can't, why can't adults be like that? Like, you've just taken my, my pen. I need my pen back. Like, give me that back. Right. Uh, instead of just like em- embracing like your uh, your awkwardness and be like, I'll just go get another one. That's fine. And I'll just be upset about this later. And it's going to come out when I yell at my dog later when I get home. It's like, you know, we could just have this conversation now to dispel right. any kind of emotions and just, you know, continue on with our days. That's maturity. I think that's adulthood, you know, and, and few of us really get to adulthood. Yeah. That's one of the things I'm working on right now. It's like, okay, I'm going to really step into adulthood in all areas of my life, right? Finances, health, relationship. Let me let me be an adult. Let me get into some maturity here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know for so long I've, I've been playing the imposter. Like one of these days, somebody's going to realize there's a four-year-old driving this man meat suit. I don't know yeah. when, but they're going to figure me out. <laughs> yeah, we all got that going on for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, when is your, uh, so your your new single comes out on the 16th. When is the uh, the full album coming out? What we're doing is we're doing one single every month. So we have about eight songs um, and we're just releasing one single at a time. So the next one uh, will be in uh, mid-October, right for Thanksgiving, which is actually really the theme of Thanksgiving. Yeah. That's beautiful. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, Pauline, I, I am deeply grateful for your time in this conversation. Um, I loved, loved all the directions we went into. Uh, this is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I love having open, vulnerable uh, talks and I appreciate your openness and your vulnerability as well. Thank you. I do. I really, I, I enjoyed it immensely and, and it was really beautiful to, to hear, um, you know, like an evolved masculine take on things because it, it's raw and it's real and, and it takes a lot I think also for the masculine to be able to put itself out there in such with such vulnerability. So I equally appreciate your the way you showed up into this conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. That means a lot. It really does. It's a lot of a lot of the work I've been doing personally is to to try to yeah. balance my masculinity with my femininity. So I appreciate that. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you, Pauline. I look forward to having you back again. I'm so excited for for you and your husband and the way that the, the directionality of your group. I uh, can't wait to hear the new single and the new singles that are coming out. And uh, if there's ever anything that we can do for you, if you'd ever like to have a, an opportunity to come back, a topic you want to talk about, um, please open platform. You're always welcome. Fantastic. Yeah, I'll come back with Arca next time and we can have maybe a dialogue around like conscious relationships and stuff. Oh, like, I would love we that. love that. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank yeah. you so much, Pauline. Enjoy the rest of your day. You're welcome, Adam. Thank you. Thank you so much for spending time with Pauline and I. Uh, please check out the show notes and ways to get in touch with Pauline or to listen to Icona's music. Um, also, uh, please subscribe and like the show and send it to those who you feel can be helped by it. As always, if you have any suicidal thoughts or need help, 988 is a great number and a great resource you can reach out to. Um, but opening up yourself to talk to your friends, talk to your family, finding the help that you need, it's there for you. Basins and love. We'll see you next time.